This is Season 3 of the Citizen of Heaven Podcast, Episode 106A, Parenting. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in. Is it possible to rear godly children in an ungodly world? Absolutely. God's people have been doing it for centuries, but we have to do it God's way, no matter what the world may tell us. I'm joined today by Ricky Jenkins, preacher and shepherd for the Campbell Road Church of Christ in Garland, Texas. Also by Phil Robertson, the preacher for the Glen Springs Church of Christ in Gainesville, Florida. This is a special uncut version of our conversation. Let's start with what I've been preaching. I've been preaching about training children and training parents too. Ephesians 6.4 reminds parents of their mandate, and Proverbs 22.6 teaches us to have confidence in the results that will follow. But we don't always get the results we want, and God's methods often seem antiquated in our modern world. Has the time come for us to change our approach to biblical parenting? Gentlemen, the floor is yours. Go ahead, Phil. Well, I, I would certainly say no. Um, I think the Lord's plan has always been the best plan. Uh, it was the same plan that was handed down to the children of Israel uh, in the wilderness is the same plan we need to be following today. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, when they come in, when they go out, when they rise up, when they, when, you know, just the whole time you're with your children, you're teaching them and instructing them in the ways of the Lord. And I think more than anything, uh, especially when you're in situations like today with our society and all of its challenges, even just uh, what they now call gender dysphoria, that most people don't even understand the simple basic uh, principle of genetics, male and female, that even more so today, we need to be teaching our children the way of God, uh, that the Lord's plan is his plan because he created us. And I, I just think as a parent, that if you can instill those principles in your children and just make it a constant in their life, you're not only going to give them instruction in the Lord, which ultimately that's what we want uh, as, as Christian parents, but you're going to give them the self-confidence and the assurance of knowing not only who they are, but what they are and where they're headed and what their purpose on earth is all about. And when you look at society today, boy, it's a society that is just struggling for any kind of hope and security. And if we don't even know who we are, you can understand why there's so much anger and hostility and frustration in the world. So as a Christian parent, hold fast to the plan that God has given us. Hold fast to his instruction and lean on it even more, even, even more so in seasons of doubt. What I would say just. uh, Stacking on top of what Phil said, in essence, the same thing. I would say instead of walking away from the biblical principle, we need to be walking toward it. Uh, if our society and even if our, our, our brethren, our, our young parents, will put their faith and confidence in God's plan, uh, he's the one that created us. He's the one that designed us. Then he knows best how we ought to function. And we, we would give more attention to God's plan not less attention to God, God's plan, not, not critique it, but em, embrace it, uh, I, I think we'd be a whole lot better off. And I think the failure of parents is to walk away from it because they feel like, well, things aren't working. Uh, but usually the problem is, is kind of like technology. It's on the user end, not on the design end. 
And if we're not using it like God intended for us to use it, then that's going to be a problem. The other thing I think that helps that is when you follow the biblical plan, it helps you be consistent. And I know when I was in the parenting mode and, and uh, I'm not being critical when I say I observe this in young parents, but being consistent is, is a challenge. Um, and if, but if you're following the biblical plan, uh, then your, your uh, opportunity to be consistent is going to increase. Your chances to be, be consistent is going to increase. So I think the biblical plan just, just certainly must be embraced. As I look back now from, from where I was at in the child rearing period, I see the mistakes I made in, in not following it closely enough. And when I didn't, those were the problem areas and the problems weren't with the kids, the problems were with me. And so when we walk away from it, we don't have a child problem. We have a parent problem. Well, and parents, if you look at the, you look at the biblical model, it's, it's the idea that the parents were extremely involved in their children's lives. Uh, look at Jesus, for example. Let's go to the first century. In, in that day and age, a child grew up in a home where they learned the trade of their parents. They, they didn't have public school to go to, and, and that's not in any way an indictment against public schools. But the first century model was a child would be reared by their parents to learn everything they need to know about life in the home, including their trade. So they were taught their education throughout the day as they worked with the family in the family business. They would go and be a part of the community at the gathering hall, the synagogue, and be, be there with the elders and the other leaders to be instructed in the ways of God in their community. And so what, what a child received on a continual basis was constant instruction, constant involvement, so that when that child hit an age in, in their mid-teens, per se, let's look at just maybe the life of Jesus, which would have been traditional, by the time he's a teenager, he, he's learned how to communicate, he's learned how to associate, he's learned what he needs to know with respect to any kind of reading and understanding scripture. By 12, he's reading and, and understanding the law, we see that, but he's also learned the trait of his father. And he probably lost his dad at a young age. And so he became what he was taught to be by his parents as one who was instrumental, not only in the society that he lived in as a carpenter, but in his home as a brother and a provider for his family. And that's who he was for the first 30 years. If you go and you look just the way Mark uh, shares it, well, and even in the other gospels, the first time he spoke in his home synagogue, they all went, isn't this Jesus, the carpenter? And what that tells us is that his parents taught him to be who he was. They taught him to understand his identity and his purpose. And so he followed in the family path, if you will. It was kind of the faith of his fathers lived in him and, and, and they taught him that. And so the parents were working together with the children constantly to develop them and help them become who and what they are. And so you, you just see that pattern. You see that pattern, and boy, today, we really got to hold on to it. I was, I was looking at some statistics just over the weekend, and, and one of the statistics was this. Over 18 million children in the United States right now are growing up without a father's influence. That means no biological father, no stepfather, no male in their household, all right? Now, 
what, what's sad in some situations, and we our heart goes out to those who have lost their fathers, you know, uh, and, and so you have a single parent home. Well, if that was the case for Jesus, there were still some men in his life, uh, and there were still those around him. But if you get back to that statistic, 18 million being raised without fathers, 85% of men who are in prison grew up without a fatherly figure. Now think about that. And then consider this, that right now in New York schools, in a couple of New York schools, children are being discouraged from using gender references, even for their parents, not to refer to them as mom and dad. What the world is saying is those identities are not needed in the rearing of the children. Well, if we just look at society, that tells us that's, that's the recipe for disaster. If you don't have a father and a mother heavily involved in a child's life. So you can see that spiral. You, you can see us going down and reaping the whirlwind now from the path that we've chosen. And so if we go back to your original premise, how, you know, is, is our, our trust in God's way and is his way antiquated? Certainly not. Just look even at it from a statistical point of view, you can see what's happening in society because we are getting farther and farther away from the biblical model. On top of what, what Phil said there, Josh McDowell, I believe it's in the book, The Father Connection, that he writes that when a young girl doesn't have a father present in her life, she's 60% more likely to commit sexual immorality. Children receive their identity from their father. And by the way, that's the father connection. Fathers, earthly fathers, connect to the heavenly father, and children receive their identity from their father. If their father's not present, or he's negligent, or he's just absentee, uh, then they're not receiving the identity. And now then with, with the uh, uh, philosophy of society, that genders don't matter, that Phil's talking about here, then it's no wonder that identities are confused because they get their identity from their father. And that was God's plan all along. That's why the father has the place in the family that he has. And so if, if we get back to the model where the fathers are the fathers and the fathers are the men of the family, when you say the fathers, the fathers, the fathers, the men, that's not abuse. We're not talking about uh, totalitarian uh, type things in a home. That's not the picture of, of a father the Bible presents at all. But it's a man, Paul, Paul will talk about in First Thessalonians 2, as a father nourishes and cherishes and encourages his children. We don't think of a father often nourishing, but a father nourishes. A father nourishes in a different way than the mother does, but a father nourishes. And when that, when that presence is not there, then there's, there's a void. It's going to be filled by someone or something. In Proverbs chapter one, he talks about not going in the way of those who, who uh, try to help you uh, walk in the way of the wicked path. And the point about that is that you're going to belong to somebody and you're going to find that, that place of belonging. And one reason that children in, join gangs like they do uh, is because they find a sense of belonging. Right. Uh, and hopefully as God's people, we can help them have that sense of belonging as well. And so another case that, that Phil talked about Jesus, uh, I, I referenced Timothy. His father was a Greek, uh, but it was his mother and his grandmother that helped instill his faith uh, in him. Uh, they took, where'd they take him? They took him from a youth 
to the scriptures. Timothy knew the scriptures. They took him from a youth. His mother and his grandmother influenced him. So sometimes if that father is, is not present or is absentee, even then mothers and grandmothers can have a, make a tremendous difference uh, in the life of a son too. But if, if we don't give children a sense of belonging and their identity grows from God, God defines who we are. Our identity is not defined from the physical point of view. Our identity is defined from the spiritual point of view. This, this body, it, it's just a tabernacle. It, it's just clay. And when the spirit's gone, you, you see how much clay it is. Uh, but the thing that gives us our identity is the spiritual side. And so you look at the world. The world has abandoned the spiritual side. And so it's no wonder they're floundering, trying to find their identity and redefine things. And so if we get back to the biblical model, and as Phil said in Deuteronomy 6, then obviously what we're doing is we're instilling the stories in God. And then we have that place of the family, the father of the family that Phil referred to in that time. Then it helps establish, it helps give a, a solid basis for those children. And you find children who grow up in those homes and you look at children who don't. And you see a big, big difference in how, how they respond and how they feel about themselves. Go ahead, Phil. Well, and, and I would say, too, uh, Ricky's dead on. I, I think sometimes we as parents don't take we, we don't take seriously, seriously enough just biblical education. Children that learn the stories and learn who God is and learn about God's people through Scripture are much more likely to not only have more stability in their life with an understanding of who they are, but their character is going to be developed because they're developing a relationship with the Lord. And so in our house, just Bible study in and of itself, we didn't rely on all of our children's biblical education to come from the Wednesday night and Sunday Bible studies, although those are important and, and they were a must and never missed. In our home, we wanted our children to learn about God every day so that they would learn the stories of Abraham, Moses, and, and, and learn the stories of, of the our first century church. And we, we had one situation where I don't know what the deal was, but some questions came up about Ezekiel and it, it just hit me, man, I don't know if I know the minor prophets very well, which prophet was where. And we found a game at the Florida College bookstore that somebody's, some brethren had made and it was the prophets game. And that became a nightly activity for us, for us to sit down and play a board game about the prophets that taught you all about the minor prophets, as well as Daniel and Ezekiel and others. And, and it was amazing how enriching that became in our lives and in our children, because they learn more about the ways of God. I, I believe more than anything, what I wanted to do as a parent was to teach my children to have a relationship with God that their relationship with God was the most fundamental relationship there is. We mentioned earlier about just the challenges with society right now and identity. I'm afraid that this passage in Genesis 1:27, that I'll read for you, is going to be one of the most controversial passages over the next few years. And I hope, Lord willing, it doesn't become hate speech, but it's the foundation of not just the family, but of society and the world. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
he created them. I don't know if you noticed or not, but three times it tells us God created. <laughs> he, he created us in his image. He created us with a likeness of his image to share his image. And he created us with a distinct image of our own, a genetic characteristic of our own male and female, again, with that image in mind. That's the basic foundation of not just the family, certainly, but life, life. And so you begin with that. That is the building block to go from. And so if you don't start there, if that isn't your foundation, you're just, you're, well, it's like Jesus said, you're building on sand. You're building on sand and the house is going to fall. Right. The other thing I would add on, on top of the instruction is the example. Uh, get back to being the biblical example. Uh, I, many times the failure in the home on the part of the parents is because of their example. Uh, they're not living what they're teaching. They're not living what they profess. Children pick up on our children pick up on it, man. Children are radars, man. They'll hone in on our inconsistencies when we're not being consistent with what we're telling them. And so it's not just enough that we teach them. We have to show them. But as Phil said, in, in teaching and in showing what we're trying to do is build that heart and that character. I, I learned, I, I wish I had been uh, a, a more, uh, a smarter and more in tune younger father. Uh, I started pretty early. My, our oldest, our son was born three days before I was 21. And uh, I was just barely a little bit drier than him. But uh, as I got a little bit older and began to mature myself, I realized that the training was not about the corporal part. The training was about instilling a kind of heart and character in them. Right. And then that became incumbent on me to show them that kind of heart and character. Uh, and so I, I think that example we set before them is, is tremendous as well. You, you look at the great, greatest influences in life of a children. Statistically, it's always been this way. It's not their friends. It's not their teachers. It's their parents. Their parents have the greatest influence, impact on their lives. And if we're not setting that example and we're not doing the teaching, the instilling, the building, of these foundational character things that, that make us like the Lord in his image, that make us grow to be in his image, to be like him, then it's going to be difficult for our children to say, well, I see this out here in the world and they're doing this, but yeah, you're doing this. Why do I need to do what you're doing? Because you teach this, but you don't live this. I, I remember a story that I, I heard, and this was a true story. This wasn't just a preacher story. Of a young man that began that uh, was deeply involved in pornography, and when questioned at the deepest level of his involvement, which basically had come down to the point of, as that thing degrades their stages, and the last stage is uh, is rape and murder. But when questioned, why did he begin that? He said, "Well, he was looking at his father's magazine, mm -hmm. and his father was supposed to be a Christian." So if I'm drinking or smoking or looking at pornography, uh, wh whatever you want to put in the blank there. And I'm talking about living pure moral lives. I'm trying to teach them from the Bible what purity is. And they see me living that. They're not going to pay a bit of attention to what I say. They're going to they're emulate what I do. And But what we do and what we say 
must match. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, you're known by your behavior, whether you're pure or upright. Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. Well, we know by our behavior, whether we're pure or upright. Our behavior matters. What we teach matters, and our behavior matters. And so as people who are supposed to be people of God, we too are to be transformed into his image. And we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hand these children back to God. When my son's oldest was born, uh, his father-in-law said, looked at him and said, looked at him and his daughter and said, you know who he belongs to, don't you? Well, God gave them to us. And what we're trying to do is shape their hearts, give them back. We're trying to shape their hearts. So when we turn them loose on their own, they had that heart of God instilled in them and they can give, they can then instill that in their children. And that's the domino effect. This thing dominoes faith handed down, faith handed faith down, faith handed down, faith handed down. And so you're instilling that word and that faith in them by what you teach and, and, and what you, how you live it before them. You know, how, if, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, that's why the Abraham story, Genesis 22, is such a compelling parenting narrative Absolutely. where we think this is just unheard of that, that Abraham, this great man of faith, would take the, the epitome of the future that God has given to him, all the promises, and, and send him back to God. Essentially, we're, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill my hope as a demonstration of my faith. And we're sacrificing our children to God, too, in a, in a much less literal way, of course. What God gives to us, we give back to him. And that is why we trust his plan. It's, we're, we're pushing back against God's parenting the same way that our children are pushing back against, against, uh, yeah. against our parenting. We, we don't believe this is going to work. When we have the faith in the plan, like Abraham had uh, faith in the plan, you're able to say, I don't necessarily agree or understand this rationale that God is giving me, but I'm going to go this way and God's going to work it out. And, and I'm going to trust that this is the case. And unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't with parenting. You know, children are going to be their own characters. They're going to go their own way. But if we can instill a basic understanding of who God is and who we are before God, then they have so much better of a chance, you would think, all things being equal turning out to be God's kind of people. It's, it's not just our children's rebellion we're talking about. It's our rebellion, uh, not trusting that God knows what he's doing. Well, and I, that's a great point there, Hal. Uh, you know, you look at Abraham, you look at Hannah, you know, giving her, her son to the Lord. Uh, you even look at Mary, you know, and just treasuring in her heart when he says, I must be about my father's business. Well, that applies to all of our children. It applies to all of us. And so if you go back to the biblical foundation in the model and you just look at Deuteronomy 6, teaching our children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength, teaching them when they rise up, when they lay down, when they go out, when they come in, well, what else is left? You know, it, it, it's not just a Sunday, Wednesday thing. It's not just a couple of minutes a day thing. God says in his model plan, it is 100%, 100% of the time, every single day, seven days a week, this is your model. Because it takes that kind of consistency and commitment. And I wonder sometimes if parents, we, we don't necessarily struggle 
with the model as much as we struggle with doing it consistently, like Ricky said, or doing it 100% of the time as God instructs us to. It's so easy to get our lives compartmentalized and try to always looking for the microwave, quick, heat up, resolve thing point of view that we failed to see. This is it for the long haul. Uh, Cheryl and I kind of have a joke. I have, I couldn't tell you what the hits were on the radio from 1996 to the year 2015. I have no idea those years because all I was hearing was veggie tales. All right. Children's church songs, uh, kid songs and things of that nature. You know, that's all we heard. And that's all we were listening to. There was a huge void. And so, you know, I think what the Lord is teaching us when you have your children in your care, that's your priority. That's who you are. And that becomes your number one role, your number one purpose. And, I'll, and I bet Ricky can speak to this. When I decided to really give myself fully to full-time preaching and, and be committed to that, one of my greatest fears was saving the world and losing my children. So we made a dis- distinct decision. We were never going to get so involved in everybody else's lives that we didn't take care of our children and were not as involved in their lives as we should be. So we incorporated them in things that we did. They would go with me to the hospitals to visit. They would go with me to meetings. They would go with us at certain times. I had my kids going to a Bible study with me at the Bessemer High Rise uh, in, in Bessemer, Alabama, where every Thursday night we would go to an old folks home and the kids would ride with me and go and be a part of that. All right. They're five, six years old and they would sit right there at a table, maybe do a little work on their own. And I'm studying with all these older folks there at that. And that was our deal together. And, and part of the fun ride was going over the railroad tracks real fast. And so they would fly up in the back of the car. And then maybe on the way home, we would go get a snack. That just became a part of our life so that they went with us. And what was invariably going to happen every single time on the way home, the kids would either talk about comments that were made in class, sweet things maybe that some of the older ladies said to them or what was discussed. It was amazing. And it, it became a part of their life. And so it was more or less the kids adapted to our lives, not parents adapting to the kids' life. Because I believe the biblical pattern is it's 100% of the time you're a parent. And that becomes your greatest focus. And you want them to grow up in that nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, starting there and working backwards just a little bit. Uh, we, as I said, we had our kids real young. Uh, two weeks out of the summer, when they got older, they'd go stay with my mom and dad. That was uh, me, mom, granddad camp. All the grandkids came, nine grandkids, and mom kept them all for two weeks. Other than that, they went with us, like Phil said, everywhere. We, we had an anniversary. We, they went with us on our anniversary. They went with us everywhere. We didn't, we didn't lead them to, to somebody to babysit. Uh, they went with us. Uh, when you look at the, the role that we have as an evangelist, I also serve as one of the elders. It's easy to get consumed trying to save everybody else's life and lose your children's. I think Noah's the most successful preacher in the Bible because he saved himself and he saved his family. When I started doing this uh, 42 years ago, my dad sat down with both of us. My mom and dad sat down with both of us. And my dad said, 
don't you get so busy that you neglect your children? And I've always tried to apply that. But when I first moved to this church, there were a lot of internal problems taking place. I don't exaggerate when I say it was about to split in six different ways. And my time was consumed and my son was wrestling. And I missed one of his wrestling matches because I was out taking care of some problems. My dad found out about it and not kindly. And what I mean by that, not softly, but sternly and firmly said, I told you when you started this, don't neglect your children. He pounded that into me. And sometimes as preachers, it's okay to say no. You know, I took the Franklin Covey course years ago. Now it's probably something else. But it's one of these time management things. And one thing, thing they said is when you need time off, schedule it and then tell people you got an appointment. And sometimes people would invite us over. I said, you know, we'd love to do that, but we already have something on the cat. We already have an appointment. The appointment was us. And, and Jody and I do that uh, with internationals. We have to take that time. And sometimes we have to impose that on others. It's okay to say no to some, some things. Obviously, there's some things you can't say no to in preaching. But it's okay to say no to some things. And so you can't, and, and it's not just applicable to preaching. My son's in banking. My son-in-law is an anesthesiologist. And you can't get so busy in your work. Now, are there demands in banking and anesthesiology that they can't control part? Yes. But there's some things that just stroke our egos that we just need to say no to to invest in our families. And we talk about this thing of parenting. The design is perfect. Deuteronomy 6 is perfect. The people implementing it are imperfect. The, the greatest model of parenting is God. He's called both a father and a mother. And you look how he handled Israel. Here are his children by, here are his chosen children spiritually and his chosen his children by creation. And they didn't always, they didn't always please him. But how did God treat Israel as a father? If, if not only Deuteronomy 6, but we look at the pattern, of, the pattern of parenting from the father, the perfect father, that would help us. But like our children sometimes, there were children of Israel who chose to go a different way. They wanted to become like nations, and lo and behold, guess what? They became like it. That's not what God wanted. It broke his heart. We use Proverbs 22 and 6 to hammer people over the head. If you had trained them right, they wouldn't have left. No, train, train involves someone to train and someone to be trained. Uh, what we find out when we have children is they're not baby dolls who you can control when they wet and when they don't wet. And you can push a button for them to cry and not cry. What you find out when you have a child is you have now brought into this world someone with a personality and a will of their own. And our challenge is to burn that will out of them and burn our will into them, which is the father's will. But sometimes, sometimes they exercise that will different than what we want. And sometimes they walk a different path than what we would choose, but they're exercising their free moral agency. Listen, People complain about teenagers. I, number one, I think that's a disservice. I think we ought to quit telling teenagers how bad being a teenager is. And we ought to tell teenagers how great being a teenager is, the great opportunities they have as teenagers. 
do teenagers have, teenagers have problems? Yeah, just like adults. But what do you want to do? Put them in a box, tape the box up, stick it in the corner until they're 18 years old, then let them out? No, then all you have is someone's been in a box for 18 years. That's, that's, that's delayed in their development. A part of developing is learning how to cope with and solve problems. And that's what God the Father tried to help Israel do. Right. And that's what following his example and the Deuteronomy 6 example is. The way I said Deuteronomy 6 was, Phil elucidated a while ago, the way I, I, I said it for my, my kids, especially my son, uh, when they get up for breakfast, you talk to them. When you're playing golf with them, you talk to them. When you come home at night, work in the yard, you talk to them. When you go to bed, you talk to them. I found some of my best conversations with my son on the golf course. Because at home, it was like button heads. But on the golf course, we had golf to distract the head button. And, man, we had some great conversations. Now, my daughter didn't play golf. I had to find something else. One thing my wife was great at and I was extremely poor at is when she would put the kids to bed at night, she'd go upstairs and she'd talk to them a little bit. And she'd say a prayer with them. I thought they were going to bed. I was just watching TV. I was the idiot. And guess what? When our grandkids come and they're older, they go to bed. She goes upstairs and talks to them and prays with them. We'd sit around the table and she'd tell me sitting around the table, you don't talk to the kids. Well, I grew up with four kids in the house. I thought when you came to the table, you came to the table to eat. I thought you came to the table to talk. No, she said, you don't talk to them. You need to talk to these kids around the table. Connie Adams told the story that when his parents died, they were doing an estate sale. And just about everything in the house was for sale except for one thing. It was the table. He said, well, you can't sell that. Because it was around the table where the conversations about their day and about life took place. And I think one thing we've lost in our high-tech society, our gadget society, our social media society, is we spend more time looking at the screen of this phone than we do looking in the eyes of our children and our mates. And we've lost the communication that instills that Deuteronomy 6 principle. How can I talk to them when they get up and on the golf course and when we come back in and work in the yard if I'm not talking to them? And so we have to talk to them. Communication has been lost. We've given communication over to the TV, and I love TV. We've given it over to the gadgets, to the technology. Listen, you can't develop a relationship with the screen. You have to develop a relationship face-to-face. And so as parents, we have to nurture and develop those relationships. And in the process of that, I don't care what you do as a mother and a father, you can't let that job or that social activity get in the way of those children. You got one chance. You got one opportunity. We're not going to be like Job and get 10 more at the end of the, end of the, end of the story. Here, okay. We get one opportunity. And yeah, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. The second line you sign when they're born, first sign you, First line you sign is their name. The second line is, I'm dumb. I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm going to make mistakes. (laughs) And sometimes our kids think we're dumb, and guess what? Sometimes we're as dumb as they think think we are because we don't know. And the reason we don't know is because we haven't taken time to know and to learn from them. And that's what Phil was talking about, this thing about the model of the parenting in the Bible. People were involved in their children's lives. 
I'm not against homeschooling. Our kids went to public school, but we homeschooled through the public schools. And what I mean by that is we, we were up there. We were up there all the time. My wife was constant up there. When they got in high school, I kind of took over. But we were up there. Our teachers knew us. And they knew, they knew these, these were our children. We didn't hand our children over to the state, and we didn't hand our children over to the school. And by the way, when we thought it was time to take a day off from school, we told them don't set the alarm. I talked a moment ago about moving here, and it was just a hurricane of activity. And, man, in the first two months, we were supposed to go out with one of the elders, and I told him, I said, can we make take a rain check on this? We, we're just whipped. We got in about 1030, and I told the kids don't set the alarm. You're not going to school tomorrow. I controlled when they went to school. I controlled their lives. I didn't hand them over to the state or to the, to the schools. I controlled that. And if I thought they needed to be off a day or we had something as a family we needed to do to go see somebody, then we did that. This is what I've been reading. I've been reading The Coddling of the American Mind by Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. Their contention is that overprotecting children does more harm than good, that it sets them up for failure by robbing them of learning experiences and the experience that comes from them. Clearly, parents have a role in sheltering their children, but can there be too much safety? And if so, how do we know how much risk is too much? I would respond, absolutely. We can definitely shelter our children uh, too much. Now, I, I will say that the, the world that our children are growing up in now is certainly different than when I was growing up. I mean, growing up in Lubbock, Texas, you could jump on your bike and just ride wherever you wanted to go. And you just knew to be home on time, uh, be home on time for supper. I remember one Sunday, some friends of mine, we jumped on our bikes and we actually rode to Friendship, Texas. We, we, we went on a 10 mile bike ride, uh, and, but we just had to make it back uh, in time. No cell phones, no other form of communication. You just knew to be back. And, and, and that's, that's something that would be unheard of today. I can't imagine you know, parents just allowing kids to take off and just come back that late in the day. But at the same time, I fear that our children are not being challenged and given opportunities to fail in the safety of their home environment. And there can be too much risk and not enough exploration uh, that children are not taught to deal with their fears or even to deal with failure. Uh, one of the things that we had in our family that was a rule <laughs> was when you go to a uh, an amusement park and you're tall enough to ride the ride, you're riding it. If it's a roller coaster, guess what? Today you're getting on a roller coaster for the first time. You're tall enough to go on it. And it, and it's always a fear, you know, the, a ride like that is always a fear, but I wanted my children to know that I'm there with them. You're strapped in, you're going to be fine. Learn to face your fears. And, and those kind of fears carry over into you get out of the roller coaster and well, let's say you go to a city, a new city, you're traveling and it's time to go to Bible class. And, you know, how many kids end up sitting in the auditorium with their parents instead of going to class because they're scared or there's an opportunity for a teen weekend or a gathering and they say, well, I don't want to go because I don't know anybody. They're scared of being alone. And, and I want you to think about that. We're talking about church. 
We're talking about teen gatherings and we're going to allow our kids to use their fear as an excuse not to go to something that's good for them. Go make new friends, learn to face your fears, but more importantly, put them in an environment where they're going to succeed and they're going to be able to overcome some of those things. Uh, I'm a camp director. And one of the things that we always do at camp is we challenge the kids to do something they haven't done before, uh, whether it's getting out on the lake and riding the inner tube behind the boat, which for the first time can be a little scary, jumping off the platform onto a blob and being launched into the air, you know, by somebody else on the blob. Yep, that can be a little scary, but face your fears. Don't say you don't like something until you've tried it. And, and if we can teach our children in these safety environments where we have our own safety net in place to catch them when they fall, we're going to help them grow and develop because life doesn't always have a safety net. And they need to learn what they can and can't do. And they need to be challenged. I believe all of us need to be challenged. I think challenge is good for us. Uh, I think I think one of our big challenges as humans, as we get older and can make some of our own decisions, we make our lives way too comfortable and comfort has never been good for us. Get out of your comfort zone. Be willing to be challenged. Be willing to do what is uncomfortable. And, and generally, it's those situations that help develop your character, your fortitude and your ability to persevere, especially when the going gets tough. Uh, I love to work out. That's one of the things that I enjoy doing. And one of the things that I jumped into headlong was reading about the Navy SEALs and how they train. Yeah. And the SEALs, the SEALs have a slogan. When you think you've hit your wall and you've given all that you can, you can still go 40% more. That, that's the slogan. When you think you have totally spent it all, nope, you still got 40% more that you can do. And ultimately what it is is, you can keep going if you want to. It's in your mind. It's in your mind. And so as parents, we want to teach our kids to overcome the greatest fear there is. And it's not the boogeyman. It's not what's going on in the world. The greatest fear is what is put into our minds. And we put it there and we have the ability to take it out. And so challenge your children to grow and develop. Challenge them to do things that are uncomfortable, challenge them to face their fears. And I, and I agree, uh, we, there is a little too much coddling uh, in the world today and, and, and you can see it uh, in kids and unfortunately you can see it in adults as well. You know, kids need to get outside and play and scrape their knee and, and bleed just a little bit. I'm not talking about a serious gash, I'm talking about they scrape their knee. You know, little boys pick their nose and they scratch and they, they burp. That's what little boys do. Little boys play guns. Little boys play cowboys and Indians. Uh, that's what they do. Uh, sometimes we want to shelter our children from being who they are. This goes back to that gender identity thing that Bill talked about in the first session. We want everybody to be neutral. Uh I, I coached my son from the time he was seven to the time he was oh, probably 16 in, in baseball. And uh, I remember starting out, everybody got a participation trophy. Nobody came in first. Nobody won the game. Trust me, those kids know who won the game. They know who won the game. 
And what we want to do is we want to make uh, everybody uh, the same, uh, whether you won or whether you lost. That's not life. That's not life at all. There are winners and losers in life. There are men who attain great status in a corporate structure. There are men who don't. There are winners and losers in life. And we teach our children that, that they can't be a winner or a loser. We're just going to dumb down, dumb down the losing. We're dumbed down their participation. We're dumbed down what it means to be a loser and a winner. And that, that sportsmanship, that, that challenging them to excel in something outside themselves, I think is so important. Uh, yeah, we want to protect our kids. Every parent wants to protect their child. Listen, my son is 45. My daughter is 42. I still want to protect them. I still want to protect them. Our grandchildren, we still want to protect them. But they have to get out and experience some rough spots because guess what? When they get out in life on their own, there are going to be some rough spots. And if they can't face those rough spots and overcome those cha- those, uh, those fears and face those challenges, we're, we're, we're not going to make them stronger. We're going to make vegetables out of them. And I think one of the things we've done today, and this is just a generalization, okay, is we've not let the children be children. We've tried to make them all of an equal kind of thing because that's what we're told we are. Uh, there are differences between boys and girls in the way that boys compete and girls compete. Boys are rough. Now, listen, there's some girls that are rough too. <laughs> Russ Bowman will talk about his girls playing soccer. You don't want to play soccer with them because they'll, they'll take you down. Uh, there are girls that can be tough. And I'm not saying girls are wimps. Listen, I don't know of a man that's ever had a baby. And if a man ever had a baby, the population would be less. Because we can't stand paying that long. <laughs> Women have an indomitable strength to them. They have a tensile strength to them and an indomitable spirit about them. But that's how God created them. God created us to be a certain way. And in that, we have our challenges. Life under the sun, Solomon will talk about, has its rough spots. Well, and you think back to what Jesus was saying to the disciples in John 16 as he's leaving them. In this world, you will have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. Jesus wasn't saying, okay, I'm going to make this so easy for y'all. I want y'all to succeed. I'm going to make it very comfortable. No, Jesus understood that the pathway to success is endurance and enduring tribulation. It gives you a fortitude. It gives you a, a confidence in, in what you're doing. You look at the first century church. It didn't grow from prosperity and ease. It no. grew from persecution and it grew from people having to make a determination. This is who I am and I will press on regardless. I, I, I love the words of Paul. I press, I press I press toward the goal. That's actually my word for the year. I have it on my uh, wristband here, and it's the Greek word dioko for press. The, the word press also can mean endurance, and more often than not, it's actually translated in the, the New Testament as persecution. I press on regardless, and, and we want our children to learn that. And they need to learn it from us. And so if we're coddling them, we're robbing them of some development that they need to learn in the safety of our environment and with us. 
We need, we need to help them grow. Uh, going back to camp, uh, one of the biggest challenges we have at camp is when a kid comes to camp, he is so consumed with his phone and that's all he knows and knows no technology at camp. You are not allowed to have a phone. If we catch you with a phone, you're going home. That's just one of the big rules that don't have a rebellious spirit. Keeping a phone is a rebellious spirit. We'll send you home. But, but kids actually go through withdrawals yeah. without their phones for a while. And, and one of the biggest challenges there is, is the phone has become a babysitter and the phone has become a way out that, as Ricky said earlier, is keeping our children from interacting with one another. And they don't know how to converse with one another, especially boys being able to converse with girls. Uh, you go and listen to a bunch of college girls talk about one of their greatest frustration with boys is that boys are so consumed with video games, they don't even know how to talk to a girl and invite a girl out. They're, they're more likely to do it via text than face-to-face. Isn't that crazy? crazy. And, and God bless many of these girls. I'm not going out with you if you text me with an invitation. Yeah, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Learn how to converse. But boys and, and, and even girls haven't been taught to embrace the challenge of an awkward conversation, to embrace the challenge of making new friends. One of the things that we always did with our kids, whether it was camp, whether it was going to a gospel meeting, whether it was going to just a different place. When we get back in the car, give me two names of two people you met and what you learned about them. You had to do it. You had, I mean, we went to the Southside Lectures one year. Uh, what a great uh, event that, that always is. And Thursday night's the singing. So we would stay over with the singing and, and the kids would want to sit with us. Not going to happen. Sorry. Can't sit here. Go sit with somebody else. Well, I don't know anybody. This is your lucky day. We'll be getting back in the car here in a little bit. Tell me who you know. And, and it was always great. And they lived through it. That was always the funny thing. Did you survive? Yes, I survived. I, I told you about making our kids ride a roller coaster. Uh, we were on uh, uh, Space Mountain at Disney World. This was my daughter's very first roller coaster. And, and I had pretty much forced her to ride it. Uh, but that was, she knew the rule. This is what we're going to do. And when we were coming through the tunnel at the end where it's all flashing red, da, 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 she looks back at me and she goes, Dad. And I'm like, what? And she goes, I'm still alive. And I went, yes, you are. You know, you, you did. You survived it. Same thing when you got back in the car. You survived it. Now, who'd you meet? Tell me what you learned. And, and really, most of the time, they had to have a great time because they met somebody and got to learn uh, and to meet other kids. And they have a friend. Now, my, both my kids, both my kids have a friend base that is so rich. And, and it, it came and it was hard when they were young but we force them to do what was uncomfortable. Uh, it's not easy as a parent. The easy thing to do is just give them a tablet and say, stay right here and I'll be back in a moment. You know, the hard thing to do is, okay, you got to go over there and you got to meet some people. And when we're done, we're going to talk about it, you know, but boy, I think it pays great dividends. And so as a parent, you're always looking for the opportunities to challenge them. And, and then it carries over into sports, you know, when they're playing ball, uh, one of the greatest challenges for our kids is not being the starter. It's learning to be the good bench warmer, to be the person with the great attitude when you're not getting what you want. Well, most of the time we want to quit. 
we want to just, I'm done. And, and sometimes parents, how many parents get mad at the coaches instead of saying, well, maybe, maybe my child isn't good enough. Maybe we need to spend more time playing ball at home and developing those skills. Maybe it's not the coach. Maybe it is the child. I need to teach my child now how to deal with this adversity. Quitting is never an option. You learn to go on. Don't coddle challenge. And one last thing I would say about that, uh, Hal, is the way to build self-esteem and self-confidence is to face your fears and overcome them. Like the roller coaster he's talking about. Hey, Dad, I did it. I'm still alive. The accomplishment of one thing that is a, that is uh, intimidating will enable you to accomplish another thing that's intimidating. That is one of the ways to build self-esteem and self-confidence, to be able to overcome what you feared or overcome that seemingly insurmountable challenge. What you learn as you go through life is those challenges and fears really were nothing. Fear, someone described as false evidence appearing real. And what we do is we magnify that beyond its actual size. It gets, feel started a while ago, it's in the mind. It gets bigger in our mind than it really is. Right. And if, if what we can do is then face those, that builds a self-confidence. That builds a self-esteem in children. And so that's one thing, I, the last thing I'd say about the coddling part is uh, let, let your children fail. Uh, when they need to be picked up, be there to pick them up, but let them get up. Uh, if they scrape their knee, that's fine. Uh, help them overcome, build self-confidence and self-esteem in them by helping them overcome. And sometimes driving them, as Phil's talking about, sometimes he's saying, you're going to get on the roller coaster. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. And and so, showing to them that you have confidence in them. Yeah. This this will work out. You are confident in this in this area. You can make this work. The yeah. when when we very quickly when we had Taylor and, and later on when we had Kylie, we had this policy. If they fall down, instead of jumping to their aid, instead of of are you okay? Are you okay? Instead, we said, uh-oh, and, and that was just our standard kind of go to the uh-oh, because yeah. we figure if the child is injured, the child would let us know. Yeah. But if there is a just a, the appearance of a problem, the skin-knee kind of thing, if, they, if we hover, if we insist that this must be a big deal because parents only pay this much attention when it's either the, their favorite show is on TV or it's a really, really big deal, and they'll they'll imagine that they're scared they'll imagine that they're they're freaked out if we don't if we act like it's not that big of a deal then they'll be okay we you know you let the let taylor roll off the bed and and land on her head a couple of times you realize the children are tougher to break than you think they are they are children children can manage they they can get through this if you give them a chance if you give them a chance to to overcome something i i let you know i would walk the the dog three blocks in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma to the, the Brahms ice cream store across the street. And we get to the last corner, you know, four way stoplight and such. And, and six year old Taylor and four year old Kylie walked across five lanes of traffic, you know, at the, at the red light, of course, they, they would walk across and go get their own ice cream with the money that I gave them and walk across. You've never seen kids. So excited. Look at what I did. Look at what I did. I walked across the street. It was a controlled environment. It's a safe neighborhood. There's, they're not in any danger. I can see what's going on. I can see the stories, you know. But that sense of accomplishment in this little bitty thing in a six-year-old child 
makes all the difference. I really think that that helps them overcome this fear of nothing, this, this fear just because something different is happening, something unusual is happening. You've got this. You can handle this because yeah. we've trained you to handle this. That's a great point, Hal. And I, I love the way you put it because I don't know how many times our kids heard, you got this, you got this, you got this. And then when they did it, it's like, I did it. <laughs> I, you're right. I, I got it. Uh, getting back to camp and, and camp just a, was always a big part of our lives. You had to go to camp. That wasn't an option. You will survive. You got to at least try it. And I, I can't tell you how many parents will contact me and say, hey, uh, I'd, I'd really like for my kid to come to camp, but they won't come without me. So if I can be their counselor, well, that's an automatic no. I mean, that's an automatic I'm sorry, you can't come to camp, but boy, your kids certainly need to, you know, uh, and, and I, I don't exactly say it like that, just so <laughs> you know, but, but it's like, okay, this kid needs camp. This kid definitely needs camp. It's a safe environment where the kids can thrive, but they, they need to get out of that overprotection zone. And, and two, let, let me just say as parents, I, I get it. All of us know our kids and we know our kids' strengths and weaknesses, uh, but at the same time, we just need to be careful of, of too much coddling. Adversity is a great teacher. Uh, prosperity doesn't teach. Adversity does. And generally, adversity is just going to reveal what's already inside us, the character inside us. And if you just kind of look back over the last year, this last year has revealed a lot about people. Yes. Lord willing, all of us, regardless of our age, parent or child, should be able to look back over this year and go, man, this year has taught me something. I have persevered. I have endured this adversity. And boy, have I not learned some things about myself. And I've learned some things that I needed to be more mindful of. And this has been good for me. Not preferred, but there was a goodness in what it taught me. And I think that's the difference. That's the difference because it's just like Jesus said, you know, in, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. I've overcome the world. In other words, follow me. You can too. I'll show you how to overcome this world. Yeah. But you don't overcome it unless you get in there and, and do the battle. And let's see. Right. When, when, helico when helicopter parents yield to lawnmower parents, you know, when it's not enough to just hover over your child, now you have to actually remove all of your child's problems. You're removing your child's opportunities to grow. You're removing the opportunities to, to prosper and advance and learn things. And they're going to need those lessons 10 years down the line. Yeah. You know, people in Hebrews 11 are Hebrews 11 because they didn't walk away from the problems. They, by faith, faced the problems. And, uh, I think one of the things this last year taught us or showed us weaknesses, probably maybe in all of us, is uh, we have spent far too much time on the sight part and far too little time on the faith part. Uh, yeah. We need to put some, some faith in God, especially as this thing is trying to unwind itself here, put our faith in God and get back to the spiritual things and uh, let the physical things uh Go away. I'm not saying be don't be caught, don't don't be prudent. I'm not saying walk out in front of the car just to test it. That's not right. 
Uh, but there comes a time in which you have to say, we can't control this, but I know who can. I'm going to put my faith in one that can. And yeah, someone may be hurt. Someone may lose their life. And, 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 and one life is too many. But listen, this world's not our home. And we're not packing bags to stay here. This world's not our home. And everybody in Hebrews 11 faced all that. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, and ultimately, if you baby your children, you get babies. We, we become what we're taught sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and as parents, that's one of our biggest challenges. We, we need to teach our children uh, and, and teach them to be producers, not consumers. And especially if you just look at it from the church point of view, being the children of God, God's never coddled us because he wants us to become a producer, not just a consumer. I, we've been studying the uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, at our place. And that's kind of been my sermon series recently following in the footsteps of Jesus. And if you look back to the Sermon on the Mount, it begins with these wonderful beatitudes, the character of kingdom people. And what's the very next thing that God says? I want you to be salt and light to a dark world. I mean, right off the bat, you got a mission. Right off the bat, you've got a calling. Right off the bat, you have one of the greatest challenges there is, there is to salt and light a world that desperately needs a godly influence. And who were these people? They were villagers from the Galilee of the Gentiles. <laughs> what an interesting name for a region, Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a region of nothing more than you might say misfits or a conglomeration of Gentile and Jew. They were not the cream of the crop of society. They were just, men, just simply villagers. Uh, they were not prosperous. They were not dignitaries. They were sinners who had just started following this, this new rabbi. And right off the bat, he says, I have a responsibility for you. Isn't that interesting? I've called you to be producers, not consumers. I'm not coddling you. And I tell you what, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it, it does offer a lot of assurance and hope, but it ain't easy. No. And it's not an easy sermon. And it challenges you from the inside out and all that you do. And, and that's what Jesus is telling us. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. Here's how you do it. That's right. Here's how you do it. This is what I've been playing. I've been playing Michael Strogoff, a game based on a Jules Verne novel. Players try to make their way across Russia to deliver a message to the Tsar. They get tired. They find little support. They are attacked by bears. They are blinded by enemies. And opposing forces will overrun the capital if too much time passes. It's very easy to lose, and I usually do. Parenting feels like that to me sometimes. Everything in the world is trying to subvert our good efforts, and success stories seem all too rare. What kind of aid can we offer to parents that keeps them from growing weary and well-doing? Well, I, I would say uh, the first thing, <laughs> uh, open up your eyes. Uh, I, I know that there's a lot of things out there trying to sub subvert uh, our good efforts, uh, and it may appear that success stories are rare, but boy, when you open your eyes, I see a lot, a lot of great kids out there. I see a lot of great families out there. And I, I'm, I'm not just one of these perpetual optimists. I am a firm believer 
that right now what we're seeing in many churches, uh, whether it's Texas, Alabama, Florida, or wherever, we're seeing a resurgence of spirituality in our children and in our families. And I think it's great. And I would say when you're growing weary and you're getting frustrated, you're no different than every other parent who's ever been parenting, but stop that moment. Don't look at the darkness, look at the light and look around you. There are some great kids and great families out there. And it's in those moments, I think, especially we need to run to those parents who were successful parents and get all the knowledge that we can from them. Uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy 6 is what we talked about earlier. It wasn't just parents who were to teach their children. You teach your children and your children's children. Uh, there's a village here. And boy, in the church, there are numerous, wonderful parents. Go sit with them. Talk to them. Get their wisdom. Get their insight. Learn from them. Uh, challenge yourself to maybe read some good parenting books. And, and don't grow weary in well-doing, but recognize that there's a lot of goodness out there. I mean, you just talk about the camp. I've been talking about camps. I, I know I'm addicted to the whole concept of camps, but there are so many kids going to camps right now. Uh, that, that are involved and they're, they're going to Bible camps. I mean, think about it. They're, they're not going to band camp or just football camp. Those camps certainly have their place, but they're going to camps where there's a spiritual focus and these are all over the place and they're growing in number. Uh, there's more teen weekends going on now than, than there have been in the last 20 years. In fact, I, we didn't even have those growing up. Uh, the idea that you could go to a lectureship. I, Mark Roberts, they, <laughs> the Westside Church there in Irving has the teen lectures every year. What a name for an event for teens, teen lectures. I gave Mark so much trouble, lectures. You're calling this lectures? Oh my word, just beat me over the head with a hammer. You think a kid's gonna wanna go to a lectureship? Well, yeah, they do. They do, and they turn out in the hundreds to those events. Uh, Ricky at his place there at Campbell Road, they've started a teen weekend. It draws hundreds from all over the Metroplex. These, these events are out there. These kids are out there. These families are out there. Get involved in those events. Make them a part of your life, not an option or a convenience if everything just works out on the calendar. No, make it a priority. And, and, and it's these environments that will rekindle that fire within you when you're around these other parents and these other kids. I, I think to me personally, that that's what we need to really be focused on more, uh, especially as parents. There is some strength that comes from numbers <laughs> and, and, and there is a community out there and, and, and look for it, get involved in it. You know, Phil's talked a lot about camp. Uh, I get to preach before nearly 200 kids every week. And uh, I know I'm prejudiced for this work, but we have some great families here. Sometimes we tend to have the Elijah syndrome. I and I only <laughs> am alive. And the Lord said, lift, lift up your eyes. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Uh, but I travel the country uh, in, in meetings. I see a lot of great families. I see a lot of great children. Now, are there struggles that with being a child, there's struggles with being a parent? Yeah. Uh, parenting, it, it, it's a challenge. Uh, par parenting has its, has its challenges and its moments. But you can't put a return to sender on them. 
there's no return address when these children come. And so when you decide to have children, you accept the responsibility. And I tell people, you don't have to have children if you don't want to get a dog. Because you can put the dog in the kennel. But you, if you have children, you have to invest yourself in them. Uh, you're making an investment. And investing sometimes has ups and downs. But overall, in the investment, you are going to gain. I think a big thing that, that helps parents that this kind of plays off the coddling thing a little bit is boundaries. We, we innocently let go of the boundaries, diminish the boundaries, thinking what we're doing is we're helping the child when really what we're doing is emotionally stymieing the child. Uh, boundaries help establish the children and their, and their security. And they, they bloom when they feel secure. And when we, when we give into the boundaries, just because we think, okay, well, I don't want to tell them no this time. Well, listen, there's a time to say no, there's a time to say yes. Uh, he talked about grandparents. This last summer, uh, we had some of our grandkids staying with us, and and the, the question about dancing came up. And I took the three oldest kids, and we studied dancing and social drinking together. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't bring it up. One of, the, one of my grandkids did. And so I said, well, we're just going to study about it. Nana took the two youngest ones upstairs, and she did some kind of Bible thing with them. And so you have those opportunities. Uh a moment ago, I said we didn't leave our children anywhere. Uh, what I would say is that parents do, I'm going to sound contradictory here. Parents do need a break. Listen, it's okay for someone to babysit your children tonight while you go out to a nice restaurant. And let me tell you some of the best babysitters, and they hate doing it. They just hate doing it. They will frown when they do it. They will frown every time you ask them. It'll be all they can do just to say yes because they really hate it. Grandparents. <laughs> oh yes oh yes they oh, were sure live three hours away and when they when they say they need us we go yeah just hate to be babysitters Listen, <laughs> uh, help the grandparents have a good time and you go have a good time and the kids will have a good time yeah you need you need that break sometimes when i was talking before i was just talking about the run of life sometimes you need that husband and wife to sometime a husband and wife need to remember why they fell in love with one another Oh, I can actually talk to you. Oh, there's actually a grown person here. I actually do love you. I, I forgot all about that. Well, if parents don't invest time in themselves and they wear themselves out because they're not investing time in themselves, then they're not going to be sharp for their children. And the key to being sharp for our children is to be sharp ourselves with one another. And you have it's okay to tell the children, you go to your room for a while or go to bed early. It's okay. Set the boundaries. Don't break down the boundaries, even innocently so. When we had some of our biggest challenges, I found out it was because I let go of the boundaries. And when I reinstituted the boundaries, it happened. I had a few challenges with my son in his first year at Florida College. And Dee was there, so I asked him if I could have some time talking to him. And he said, Ricky, these parents send these 18-year-olds down here and think they're ready to have life on their own. So they need as many boundaries as a four-year-old does. And I found that to be true. I found that to be true. But listen, here's another great revelation. I need boundaries. <laughs> I need them too. And guess what? My father's placed them around me too. And that's for my good. I, I just think this defeatist attitude is, is defeating us. It's just tearing us up. And by the way, we're buying into the world when we do that. 
That's Satan's lie. That's Satan. We're, we're believing Satan's lie when we do that. And we're letting Satan direct and lead us. We're letting the spirit of Satan rule us, not the spirit of God. How, Phil, you want to say something? Well, I, I just want to build on that. I, I think there is a defeatist attitude that we have to be very careful of as brethren. Uh, we feel defeated in so many ways. I mean, how many times have we said, oh, it's the worst that it's ever been. Oh, when I was growing up, oh, mine, we had this woe is me. You know, I, I gave you some statistics a little earlier. Well, yeah, it, it, the world is a challenging place, but it's been worse. Yeah. It's actually been a lot it's not the worse. worst it's ever been. If this is not the worst it's ever been, our challenge is this. There's a proverb in Proverbs 20, verse 7, that's still true today. Don't put your trust in horses and chariots. Put your trust in the name of the Lord God. Those who trust in the horses and chariot will fail. But those who trust in the Lord will rise and stand upright. We got to recognize, yeah. The Talk about Psalm 20 in verse 7. I'm right? sorry, yes. I'm sorry, yeah, Psalm. I, I, forgive me. I said Proverbs, Psalms 20, uh, Psalms 20, verses 7 and 8. And, and it's, the, it's the principle of horses and chariots. And we're falling victim to that big time. Uh, my fear is too many of our parents have been so consumed by politics that they think whoever's sitting in an office is going to determine their prosperity or their happiness. That's baloney. Now, I have certainly had my preferences, but the church thrived in the first century with a Caesar who was far from godly. There were later Caesars who actually put their horses in the Senate. There were Caesars who literally abused children and there was no repercussion. It was a wicked world, yet Christian homes thrive. And we need to bear in mind especially as the people of God today, we need to be the bearers of hope. We need to be the bearers of faith and pass that down to our children. And, and don't grow weary in well-doing. Now, here's something else. Uh, Ricky mentioned grandparents. You know, grandparents, come on, help us out, get involved. Well, one of the things that we would do with our kids is we would make sure they were around other great godly mentors and influences. Because I knew as my children got older and got through their teens, They've heard me a million times. I'm a broken record. I need you around some deacons and deacons' wives or other great godly Christians who are really into it and really great servants and who hold our same values. I want you around them because they're going to start listening to them even maybe more so than you. And it's going to have a great impact on them. Not that you've lost your influence as a parent, but you've got some reinforcement there to help you as they grow and develop moving forward. And, and there's many great people around us, just like there's many great kids around us. Use those resources, reach out to them. Don't put your faith in society and the horses and chariots. Yeah. Look back to where we began, get your faith back in God and your kids will be fine. They'll be fine. We'll all be fine. But quit listening to Satan. And Satan's lies. We've listened to him long enough. We've let him have his heyday. It's time we started giving God his time. And it's time we listen to God for a change because we, we have learned that Satan's way is a disaster. That's a great revelation, isn't it? Uh, yeah. 
let's let's get back to God's way. And Phil 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 elucidated that very well. I, I can't say anything better than what he just said. That he said that so well. Well, it's the helmet of salvation, isn't it, Ricky? Yes, the, it is. The helmet of salvation. Yes. That 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 helmet guards your mind. Yes. I, I think the thing that we our, our greatest battleground is not in government. <laughs> it's not in the schools. Our greatest battleground is what's going on in our own mind. And, and we can't allow those doubts and those fears to conquer us. Yeah. We, we need to put our trust in the Lord. I, I, I'd have loved to have been, uh, you know, back in first Kings with Elisha and his servant and, and the, you know, they're surrounded by all the Assyrians and, and, you know, you can just see the prophet kind of sitting there on the front porch, maybe whittling at a stick, you know, his servants just wet in his pants, all excited. He goes, dude, they're surrounded, surrounded. He goes, Lord, would you mind just opening his eyes? Let him see something else. <laughs> what a great story. And then he sees the spiritual host yes. around him. I mean, open your eyes. And sometimes the only way to really see is with your eyes closed. And by the way, we see 2D. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's 3D. And by the way, what Phil just described didn't die with a cross. If by faith we can see 3D, we can see those that are with us are greater than those that are against us. But we get so focused on 2D that all we focus on is what's before us. But 3D enables us to see by faith the host of the Lord's army, Mm -hmm. still led by Michael, are still working on our behalf. That hasn't quit. That didn't die with the cross. Yeah, I think that maybe we've seen too many two-hour movies and 30-minute TV shows where the key was having the right two-minute conversation or the right... 30 second analogy or whatever. And, and the problem boom gets fixed and the lights go on and the children are illuminated. This is back when parenting was okay to watch in the movies. You know, maybe that's outdated in current <laughs> Hollywood, but when I was growing up, you know, and, and the lead to beaver generation before me, the, the idea of parenting was, was a quick fix kind of thing. And at least in the media as it was presented. And in real life, it doesn't work that way. I spent a considerable amount of my parenting time growing up thinking that the key to making sure my children stayed faithful, make sure they stayed off drugs, made sure they married well, made sure that they served society and served God was having the right conversation at a certain point and being really, really good in that conversation. And you come to realize it's not about that. It's about the long process. It's not about the specific circumstances, like the, the 2D, 3D vision that, that Ricky was talking about. It's not about, it doesn't seem to be working right now. You know, my, my child's getting bad grades right now. My child has a bad boyfriend right now, or whatever it happens to be. You're setting wheels in motion in a long, drawn-out process, an 18-year process, a 30-year process that's supposed to be getting them to the end of the road. And it doesn't always look like you're going the right way sometimes. That's not a good thing. It's not good news, but it's not the end of the world either. You know, we're looking back at my parent, my parents and the way that they parented me. You know, the lessons that I learned when I was 12 years old, I didn't realize I was learning back then. I wasn't applying those things. I wasn't showing development. It became when I was 24, when I was 36. I suddenly realized I was paying attention more than I thought I was back in those days. Dad was doing a better job than I thought he was doing back then. This worked. It's a process. 
that we're engaged in. And if parents can get away from obsessing about how it's working out right now and trusting in God, trusting in the Bible, trusting in this plan that God has laid out for us, and there's nothing wrong with the plan. Allow it to work. Allow God to do things. He does. He works so slowly sometimes, and that drives us crazy. But he does work his plan, and he'll work it in our children too. Well, and it's the idea, and we're going back to it, Deuteronomy 6, teach them diligently. It's not one day. It's not two days. It's not one year. It's not one decade. It's, it's throughout their life. Uh, uh, you, you mentioned, you know, your parents, my mom, my mom is, is, is in her late seventies and she's still teaching me. And, and right now she's teaching me how to deal with a great challenge of, you know, being uh, alone. My dad passed away a few years ago and she's showing us all still that consistency of faith and of love uh, in, in that kind of uh, unfortunate loneliness that comes with losing a spouse. And, and then now even with bad health, you know, and, and the challenges of health. She's, she's always that chipper, excited. I'm fine. I'm optimistic. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. Great to hear from you. It's, it's that kind of lesson that even now I'm just amazed. Here I am. I'm 52 years old and my mom still teaching when she rises up, when she lies down, when she comes in, when she goes out. And, and boy, what a blessing that is. Uh, and, and, and what I've also found too, is my kids teach me and, <laughs> and one of the greatest joys is, is when one of your kids comes in and says, Hey dad, I've been studying this verse and here's something I've seen or send you a text. I was looking at this today and I'm sitting there, my mind's exploding going, I've never thought of it that way. That's amazing. Uh, wow. Yes. Yes. How did, you know, I miss that or wow, this, this is kind of the circle of life in a great way from a spiritual point of view. Sure. You know, we're teaching one another and helping one another. And I, I tell you, nothing, nothing just re-energizes you more than seeing your kids succeed in some way. Absolutely. That, that's, that's all Absolutely. you need. Uh, my, my kids, we got a text from them last night. My son's on spring break at the moment. Where did he want to go? He went up to see his sister and we get a text of them at the house together win. Yep. Greatest moment ever. This is great. You know, they're together. They're encouraging one another. They're going to church together. That's the victory. Oh yeah. That's the, that's all you need. My, my week is set, you know, and so cherish those memories. That was one other thing that Cheryl and I had uh, as part of one of our mottos that we always tried to look back on. There's, there's going to be so many challenges in life, but you got to slow down and celebrate the victories. Yeah. They're there. There's so many victories that are there. Don't overlook them and don't forget to celebrate them every chance you can. That's absolutely right, Phil. Absolutely right. You know, this is all about relationships. Phil mentioned his mother. My dad's 94. My mom's 91. My mom's got a few health challenges now. Uh, dad's pretty much her primary caretaker. Uh, he need, she needs him around all the time. Uh, but at 94, 91, they still live by themselves and they want to live by themselves and they're doing great. I was with them this past Friday night and Saturday. And when I left, they're standing on the porch. My mom's holding onto her walker, kind of stooped. My dad's uh, there, there with her. I just cried when I walked away. 
because they're so vulnerable. And, and what they're teaching me at this point is I'm 66, they're 94, they're 91, is how to live with old age. And even when some of your sharpness is diminished, you can still have productivity. We played, I think my wife and I played eight games of 42 with them <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a night and a morning. And some of the challenges my mom's having, uh, she was still able to play 42. Now, in 42, if you've been near seven, you ought to have a domino that adds up to seven. But, you know, you have a partner that can help. And so sometimes that's okay. But what they're teaching me is, and they've been married 73, 74 years. Dad's been preaching 75 years. He still wants to preach. He still feels like he has something to offer. What they're telling me is kind of like what feels, they, they tell me they haven't quit. Uh, dad, dad, about a month or two ago, maybe three, wrote me, asked me if I'd ever thought this about a passage. I thought, what are you doing? You've been looking at this for 75, 73, 75 years. And you're asking me what I think about it. And it was a point of view he'd never thought about before. And by the way, he was right. I thought, man, this guy is still looking at it and, and analyzing things. I think he's read the Bible through already this year, four or five times. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, because you get old doesn't mean doesn't mean you die and everything dies with you. It depends on what you do with it. But listen, th this whole thing we're talking about today, it's all about a relationship. And it's talking about how you make a relationship work, how relationship functions, and how a relationship is successful. And relationships have up and downs. It's not all one great mountaintop experience. Sometimes you just slog it out in the, in the valley and you slowly climb out. And then you're down the valley again, you slowly come out, but, but you don't quit. As Phil said a while ago in the previous section, you persevere, you endure. Uh, there's, no, there's no place to quit. There's no place to give up. The time you quit is when you breathe your last. That's when you quit. I, 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 I'm not on Facebook. I don't do social media, but my daughter sent me something from, a, from Ed Harold in, in Ed Harold's at, at the point of, he's near death. And uh, they posted on the Facebook, and Phil might have seen this, that just a few days ago, he said, I've done all I could. And then led his family in prayer. Here he is, 91 years old. I've done all I could. And, it's, and I understand his mind hasn't been sharp for some time. But he still, and he still led his family in prayer. My granddad died in 1974. And I remember walking to his room, 11 o'clock at night. He had to be masked up and gowned up. And he said something. I said, I'm sorry, granddad, I didn't hear you. And he said it again. And I vowed to this day, and that was September of 1974, what he was saying was amen. Now, here's the impact of that. I was not living right. And I loved my granddad. He was a hero to me. And I thought, here he is dying, and he's praying. And I looked at my life. When everything was settled, I was headed back to East Texas State University, now Texas a at Commerce. I thought, this has got to change. My granddad died to help save me because I wasn't living right. Ed's prayer, my granddad's prayer, 
that's that's what men of faith. That's how they live. That's what they do. And that's what we're trying to talk about in all this. We're trying to talk about a relationship with God, a relationship with one another. We're trying to instill that faith in one another. And sometimes our children instill the faith, their faith in us. Sometimes they instill their faith in us. So it goes both ways. The time comes in which they, they hold you. There have been times my children have had to hold me. I had some health trouble about 11 years ago. And my daughter missed her three-year-old's birthday to stay there and help take care of me and, my, me, me and, uh, me and Joey. Sometimes they, they, they hold you up. And so it's all part of a relationship. And I tell you what, Dan Shipley, who's passed away, told me the older I get, the more I learn to love and appreciate my children. I was really young then. And as I'm older now, I think Dan was right. The older I get, the more I learn to appreciate and love my children. I did not know when they were young. I loved them so much. And it took a hard time that one of them had for me to for me to realize that. But that one that had a hard time came out on top because he didn't quit. And because didn't you didn't quit. No, I didn't. I was talking to him all the time. Uh, I didn't know I loved him so much. And when I drove away the other day, I thought, I didn't know I loved my mom and dad so much. It's all about a relationship. Absolutely. Any other parting words of wisdom, gentlemen? Thanks for asking to be part. Yeah, oh. thanks so very much. We appreciate it. And I would just say to parents, especially, you know, I know we've been sharing a lot of our thoughts. I, I don't have all the answers myself. <laughs> and and I, I certainly don't want to sound like, oh, I've got things figured out. Uh, it, it takes faith. It's, it takes faith to, to walk on this earth. It takes faith to be a parent. And we just throw ourselves on the mercy of God and, and we trust him and, and lean on him. But you're not alone. You are not alone. There is a cloud of witnesses, so many great examples out there. Uh, men, men who have inspired all of us. I, I just think of Ed and Dee and Sewell and, and Paul Earnhardt. I, I think of, of, of just so many others, Frank Jamerson and others who just had a big impact in my life and, and many great parents. Uh, I, I don't have just my parents. I, I feel like I've got many parents uh, and I have even to this day, many mentors and guides who, who are helping Cheryl and I along the way, regardless of what stage of life uh, that, that we're in, because we're always going to need that. And, and ultimately, isn't it neat that it's in the family relationship that our Lord sees us as his children. Yes. He is our father. Yes. And so I think of every single day when I rise up, when I lie down, when I come in, when I go out, he's teaching me. Yeah. And, and may I listen to him as earnestly and as diligently as I hope my children are listening to me. I read one time, and I don't know who the source is. I'm sorry, I'm borrowing it. I can't give the source credit. Our children will make us what we could not be without them. And my wife read one time, when you decide to have children, you live with your heart on the outside. Mm -hmm. And both those are right. Yeah. You're not just making them, they're making you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So God you bless. You're making them. They're making you. Yeah. So God bless all the parents out there. Absolutely. You got this. You bet. You got this. Mm-hmm. Parenting isn't yeah. for sissies, but trust me, you got this. You bet. I agree. I agree. Still, one hundred percent. And by the way, it's the greatest adventure you'll ever have in life. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.howhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.